0: Welcome to the Calibre Podcast, brought to you by the Watchers of Switzerland Group. I'm Faisa Terry, and for this episode I'll be joining Brian Duffy, CEO, and Mark Tolson, Head of Watch Buying for the Group, and we'll be discussing Basel Fair and reviewing some of the fantastic brands and watches we've been lucky enough to see.
1: Hello everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Brian Duffy, the CEO of the Watches of Switzerland Group, and delighted to be bringing you our, our latest uh, podcast today. Uh, it's podcast number 14. Uh, we've uh, really enjoyed doing all these podcasts, and particularly enjoy the fact that so many of you out there are listening to them and uh, and commenting accordingly. So, so thank you for that. I'm uh, delighted to be joined today by uh, by two colleagues who know the watches inside out. Um, the first is our, our head buyer, uh, now you're looking after our business in the, the US, and that's Faye Soteri. Hello Faye, welcome.
0: Hello, thank you.
1: Thanks for joining us, and uh, our head of all watch buying globally, who's been with the company uh, many, many years, is uh, Mark Tolson. Hello. Hi. And uh, those that have listened to a few of our uh, podcasts will have heard uh, Mark and uh, a, a few other ones that we, that we put out previously, so thank you both for, uh, for joining me. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, Baselworld. We're just back from uh, from Switzerland, um, and had a, a very very interesting fair. It was a particularly interesting fair in in some regards because there's a lot of chatter going on about uh, uh, Baselworld, the the change, the need for Baselworld to change, uh, the decline overall in uh, attendance, particularly from exhibitors and so on, and uh, and in particular. Uh, this year, the Swatch Group deciding not to participate was a was a major statement, and they not only said that they're not participating in nineteen, uh, it's, excuse me, two thousand and nineteen, uh, but the kayak then went on record to say, you know, Andy won't be back. Um, so it created a very different atmosphere overall in uh, in Basel, and uh, the fair itself, and because they were a major presence, um, actually made the whole thing feel a lot. Camera in many ways, didn't it?
2: It did, yeah, yeah. Less people,
1: yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, a good part of what was the, the swatch space given over to kind of restaurants and more sort of leisure area. You could get somewhere to sit, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, in previous it was so busy before and uh, so exciting, but <clears throat> practically trying to get around or sit down somewhere and get your papers together and whatever was a was a challenge previously. Mm-hmm. How did you find it feel overall, the atmosphere?
0: Uh, definitely more subdued this year. Um, we were trying to decide whether it was quieter generally, but I suppose it's been displaced. You've got some numbers actually on the actual exhibitors, which yep. um, I don't think we realised how how drastic it was. But um, if you've got a bowl of water and you put a you know a heavy weight in it, it's just the displacement. We weren't really sure if the footfall felt like it was lower because there was less people there. But um, we we saw everybody we wanted to. We saw everybody we needed to. Um, it was quieter, um, but that doesn't mean it was less busy.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, uh, in terms of just getting around the place, I did f- find it more pleasant for sure. And mm-hmm. like I said there were places to go. There were there was more restaurants available, and you can actually get into them. There was a big press area that our team, because they're yeah. uh, they're doing uh, reporting from there, but we're entitled to get in they Really appreciated, you know, having that facility right in the middle of the fair. Um, and it, the numbers that are quoted, there was only, I think, around 500 exhibitors. If you go back three years ago, uh, there was 1,500. Um, so it, it seems huge in scale of reduction uh, overall. But I think if you were to do that on a weighted basis, uh, a lot a lot of the ones that pulled out were, were smaller players, a lot of jewellery uh, exhibitors and so on, uh, and all of the big guys, Rolex and... Uh, and Patek, obviously, and the uh, Breitling and the L.V. Group, all there. So, as you see, we did see everybody. It did require us though to have a, an extra trip. We had to go up to uh, um, to Zurich, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, the Swatch Group were presenting Omega Brigham in Blompa. Mm-hmm. That too, obviously, was very calm because uh, it was completely their own environment and a nice old building in Bahnhofstrasse. Beautiful Another building. Another yeah. beautiful mm-hmm. building. Yeah. It's yeah. one I used to go to years ago. I really? Was, yeah, because it's part of the Greeter uh, building there, the department store. And oh, uh, right. yeah, I used to sell Ralph Lauren to a, okay. the Greeder Group. Yeah. One by the Brunswick family. Last yeah. time I was there I met Brunello Cuccinelli. Okay. One of all people, yeah. He was mm. a very pleasant man. So that was my memories of it. My <laughs> memories of it are uh, Love uh, the lovely clothes. O- Omega <laughs> watches. Yeah, beautiful and a really lovely man, actually. They're very very uh, endearing. There you go something from a uh, past life so we, we did we did spend it and then took the train for an hour down to Basel world so it wasn't end of the world uh, uh, in terms of travel overall we did get to see everything that uh, we wanted to see and the last comment on Baselworld world is um that both John frederick the the ceo of rolex and thierry stern uh the the president of patek but both very very open in, in their support for the future of uh, Baselworld. world so i think we're all delighted to hear that mm. Uh, overall, but then getting on to uh, getting on to product, well, uh before we get through all of uh, what we did actually see in the Ferret puzzle, uh, we, d- we can't talk a lot about uh, Omega because they also took a, a, a new direction of embargoing uh, everything. So uh, uh, what there's been in the past is this huge availability in uh, social media and so on, lots of information around, but they have decided to go the opposite way and uh, keep everything under wraps. Um, but it's it's no surprise to everybody it's the 50th anniversary of the moon landing mm-hmm. uh, which of course they're, they're going to be celebrating 1969 uh, and uh, also you know, we're heading to another uh, Commander Bond yes. movie coming up so mm-hmm. both themes of course are represented by the products that we, that we thought were great so exciting stuff ahead mm-hmm. uh, in Omega and that's all we can say about it uh, overall. So then, uh, moving on to what we did see in the in, in the Basel Fair uh, this year, starting with the biggest brand in the world, uh, the biggest brand for uh, for us, the one that we've been dealing with now for hundred years, uh, actually celebrating our centenary this year uh, with uh, with Rolex, of course, and um, always pleasantly surprised by what we get presented with in Rolex. Um, my impressions was that the, the overall SKU type uh, presentation number of new. Uh, models was slightly down on the last couple of years, but I know you've corrected me on that. The uh, Faye in telling me because there was quite quite a bit of a, a expansion of uh, of core product as well. And let's start talking about the core, uh, which is the biggest part of a uh, of the of the Rolex business. And then we'll go through all the professionals. So starting with the biggest range that uh, that they and uh, we sell, uh, of course the the just
0: the Date Datejust 31. We were expecting some enhancements on this under 36 this year. So we will, um, um, with most fairs we don't know what we're going to see. But based on the evolution of of the products that we were introduced to last year, we weren't we weren't surprised. Um, great core product from the brand. Um, mainly what they've done is, as we discussed it previously, it's enhanced. Um, it's upgraded movement, so you've got more power reserve. Now, notably, these new pieces are only between 150 and £200 pounds more, but you're getting 50% approximately more power reserve. So the uh, upgraded movement and the reprofiling of the case, which is how they've polished it, so it gives a different luster and a different, slightly different aesthetic to it. But the case sizing is the same, and you've still got the options. So we saw it in the Rolesor options this year in the 31. So Rollersaw being Rolex's terminology for mixed metal, so the yellow and... Uh, steel models and the everose pink gold and steel models what was brand brand new on this collection on the 31 millimeter was a fully diamond bezel um, on the everose roller saw um, which just it adds to the collection and it's another dress dress watch so what you've got is one case size two different bracelet options a multiple of dials and um, four different bezels so it doesn't look like there's in on on face value but you put all those permutations together yeah. you've got a lot of watches and that's the beauty of the brand in that every you you can know 100 people that wear a, a rolex and everyone has got, potentially got a different watch on um so pricing very commercials we've referenced only um 100 150 pounds more than the the previous model so this this starts at just over seven thousand pounds on the smooth bezel um and oyster bracelets um, they're refining some of the collections so we don't have the same dial options as we had last year uh, on the, also on the, on the previous collections and a couple of new introductions on the dials so beautiful aubergine on the saw pieces and on the uh, roller saw, excuse me, and a slate um, grey. Um, so what Rolex are doing are keeping it commercial and contemporary, um, really listening to what their audience want.
1: Yep. Well, again, N31 is by far away the biggest... Size that, uh, in terms of sales that we have for a women's product, but I know it's something we uh, we mention often as uh, women buying product that's classified as uh, uh, as
2: men's, and we know that particularly uh, with the 36 millimeter range. Mm-hmm. Mark, we do, yeah. Uh, well, as Fay referenced, that a lot of the upgrades to the 36 mils were um, were similar to the 31s, so reprofiling the case and yep. bringing it out in um, in steel and steel and white. Um, and then again with a multitude of dials and, and bracelet options, um, some really really good additions.
1: Yep. So then uh, moving on um, to another icon, um, the, the day date, and uh, exciting developments for, the, for this really classic product.
2: Was it? There was indeed, yeah. So it gets the upgraded three two five five movement, which is. Uh, plus or minus two seconds a day so that's a that's that's a big benefit um and um i guess the key thing was the um the data hasn't been looked at for about 20 years so um so it was due uh, due some attention um and it certainly got some um so we now see it with uh, in in rose and yellow gold um and some new dials uh, which again there's a multitude of new dials i think the most striking one i think everybody was talking about was the was the two smoky dials, it was a grey ombre and a green ombre dial, green ombre diamond dial. Um, So it was a kind of green degraded dial, looked absolutely beautiful. And ombre Um, doesn't mean man. Faith better explain it because it's hair related. I didn't really, I didn't really understand what ombre was till it was explained to me.
0: (laughs) This dial style previously was known as um, a degraded dial. Mm -hmm. So it starts on the outer side of the, the, of the dial, and as it fades in closer to where the hands uh, meet, um, it's lighter. And yeah, if you go into a hairdresser's and tell them that you want um, an ombre, then they'll know exactly what you mean. It's not a man. So, no. <laughs> 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 there, there, there's no Spanish reference or <laughs> here. Um, uh, so, but this this dial was stunning. It's actually my favourite watch of the fair. My favourite watch that Rolex brought out this year, um, and really important. That this collection had a bit of a review. Um, all of the other enhancements that we've seen with the with the other upgrades. Um, so it's got the next gen movement, um, some other changes in that it's now only available in yellow gold, everose gold, and white gold, no platinum. Which was interesting that they've decided to do that, but um, perhaps that's something for a, a, cup, um, a sort of next year or the year after. Um, the dial options. Um, with the uh, and and the president bracelet. So they no longer do the oyster bracelet. And I think this is quite important for the brand because this is an icon. I use that word quite frequently. But the president bracelet and actually the day date collection in America is actually called the President's watch. So there's a slightly different language um on on, on that model. But um it's I, I think it epitomizes everything that Rolex do um, it's a beautiful watch this case size is 36 so um it can be it is there's no it's not gender specific not that any case size is but um, um it, it fits um, sort of both genders quite well and some absolutely fantastic parve um, dials in with rainbow enhancements sort of colored stone so we saw the rainbow Daytona uh, last year never rose and we've seen it of. So that was an um, a continuation of a, uh, of, a, of a model we'd seen a few years ago in the white and the yellow. Um, this year, they've, what Rolex have done is brought that fun, that freshness, that colour to the Day-Date collection. Um, and I think this is... Th- I, I think it gets overlooked. We don't talk about this. We don't reference it um, a huge amount. But um, I think what they've done, they've streamlined it. They've been very loyal to how the collection should look and they've brought in some fantastic contemporary options.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that and I think you looked at that great period of 50s and 60s and, mm-hmm. and so on for Rolex, when a yeah. lot of the great innovations were brought out, and some great images you look back at there with Dwight Eisenhower yes, and, indeed, and uh, yeah, yeah. Lyndon president. Johnson and so on, with mm-hmm. his sleeves rolled up and his, president, his president bracelet and the yeah. gold date date, really iconic for Rolex. So fabulous product. But then moving on to the the professional range, um otherwise known as the list range. <laughs> <coughs> um, <laughs> yeah, always excited by by everything we see here, and uh, I, I know you both really loved the new uh, Yachtmaster.
0: I think it was your favourite watch, wasn't it, Mark?
2: It was. So it was white gold, forty-two mil, which is uh, which is which is um, uh, well, I think the biggest Yachtmaster, um, the biggest sort of Standard Yachtmaster, anyway. So yeah, white gold. That was a bit of a surprise. We, we didn't really see that coming at all. Um, and it's um, it's on the Oysterflex uh, rubber bracelet. Black dial, um, ceramic bezel, um, and I don't know, maybe the Yacht Master gets a little bit overlooked. It's um, in, in the sea of, uh, and that's not a play of words, on words, but a sea of all the professional models that there are from Rolex. Um, I think the Yacht Master is quite subtle, but it, it, it's a beautiful looking watch. Um, it's like £21,400, and um, I was really taken with it. I thought it was, it was just a terrific looking watch
0: the black lacquer dial um, on the other uh yacht master models they don't have a lacquer dial so this was um particularly striking i think the beauty is in its simplicity on this it's mm-hmm. it's it, everyone was surprised we weren't expecting it um and it was a particularly i mean i know it was a stand up for a lot of people um and now also means that the this is the only professional collection that you can get in three sizes so it's 37 40 and 42. um just yeah it was it was um, Bravo Rolex, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah you know, definitely. I, I
1: agree. Yeah. I'd, uh, I've got the forty millimeter in the rose gold mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, which uh, which, which I love. In it. I do think it's got a very distinctive look. Yes. The and it is is mm-hmm. differentiated from a, uh, from both the, the, mm-hmm. the GMT and the Submariner, which yeah. are different watches, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. from a distance you could confuse one and the other. But the Oatmaster, I think it's got its own look. Mm-hmm. And I personally, think it's a, a range that's probably going to get expanded in the in the years ahead no reason for saying that other than just feeling that it's it's got that look, it's got that identity and it's one that they can build on. Mm-hmm. Um, then GMT I mentioned, we saw some, some beautiful gold GMT Master two uh, options. Mm-hmm.
0: Well the GMT, they started the work, the brand started the work on, on it last year. Um, what they've done is really clever and I will probably come onto the steel model with on, on the Jubilee. But, um, Now the steel model only comes on a Jubilee bracelet, which yeah. means the precious metal in the white gold is only on Oyster. And what I absolutely love is Rolex have a language that they use to identify certain mechanisms with certain products. So from 50 paces, it could look like a steel watch. But those that do know the product will now know that if you've got, a Ju- if you've got an Oyster bracelet on a GMT, the chances are, uh, with a particular dial option... Um, it's it's going to be precious metal so it really does differentiate differentiate excuse me the pricing on the two and the exclusivity the other example that they do is they'll only do an ice blue dial on a platinum model for example so we'll often have the question asked oh can I have that that color dial on 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 an, uh, a, a date just perhaps but it's that language that um, that they use very very subtly it's very clever um, so it's a co- cohesive collection um, now because there was a, a very small introduction of the white gold model last year which they immediately discontinued so yep. if you happen to get a white gold yacht mast, sorry excuse me a white gold gmt with a blue dial um, from last year's launch you're going to be a very lucky person um, reintroduce this year the dial is going to be incredibly popular and also we now have it on a meteorite dial which brings something different to the collection
1: and between the meteorite and the, that blue dial what was your what was your choice what do you think is going to be the most successful one
2: uh, for, well for me I think um, I think I think the blue um, the meteorites are lovely um, every watch will be unique because obviously meteorites are a natural material so um, every dial will look slightly different but um, I think maybe from a legibility point of view if if that's important when you're spending twenty eight thousand <laughs> twenty nine thousand pounds on a watch um, I, I, I prefer the blue I think it's interesting what you're saying about the uh, the, the, the two bracelets on the uh, on the steel um, versus the um, versus the 18 carat white, because I suppose the, the, the Oyster bracelet, which is now only available in 18 carats, is a utilitarian kind of tool watch standard bracelet. Um, and it's in 18 carat, whereas in steel, the slightly flasher um, Jubilee bracelet with the polished centre links, which um, is, is, is now on the, the less expensive model. So it's a bit of a bit of a curiosity that one.
1: I, I personally think the uh, the meteorite is probably going to sell more just because it is so yeah, different. Mm-hmm, people yeah. again will recognise it, and yeah. you'll get the whole message then. Mm-hmm, yeah, that he, sure he's managed to get a really cool watch. It's white gold, mm-hmm. and there's only one like it. Yeah. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think now there's no doubt that uh, uh, the Rolex followers like to have something different, and it's a great thing that Brian can give. And yeah. you can't get anything more different than every dial being a. Effectively different overall, so I think it will probably win out overall. But you still, nevertheless, see aesthetically, trend-wise, yeah, yeah. The, uh, the the blue
2: overall. And I suppose it's one of the few um, professional models. Um, well, there aren't that many that doesn't have a doesn't have a black dial. Uh, obviously, the Daytona is a uh, white and there's the Z, uh, the Z Explorer Two. But um, in terms of a GMT, um, it's uh, it's it's I suppose different with a light dial. On the precious metal. On the precious metal, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And then a Sea Dweller, which uh, we introduced a
1: couple of years ago in, the, in, in steel, and then we saw a beautiful version
2: now in the yellow yeah, gold. Sword. That was a surprise. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. I mean, that was a that was a, a, a real surprise, um, steel and yellow gold uh, Sea Dweller. Uh, so it's got all the sort of functionality. Sort of 1,200 metres um, will go down in depth. It's it's a it's a big of a. Big beast of a watch, but I think they really pulled it off. I think it looks amazing. As at £12,400, um, and with the 3235 movement, again, it, it ticks all the boxes. It was just a surprise, I think. Yeah. I don't know. Um, didn't see that one come in at all.
1: Yeah, and we should say it's amazing the discretion of mm. Rolex. Yes. Um, that, yes. That that everybody's desperate to just get the slightest hint of, uh, mm. of what's coming up. People speculating, getting yeah, yeah. things wrong. Yeah. I actually got. Um, Contacted by by some some customers that I know looking for uh, new products that they had heard were coming out and, and of course uh, they were they were fake products and yeah. people just speculating on, on things and they uh, and getting it all wrong. So
0: I enjoy not knowing until we get to the fair. Yeah, I think it you know we, all all the year is important, but this is a real high for for me and seeing the new products. If you know what you're going to see, it's very different in in reality. Mm-hmm. To be fair. Um, when we were looking at the GMTs on the pictures because obviously they go up online the day before the fair open so you do buy, by that stage you have an idea um, the meteorite dial on the GMT was actually very strong you have mm-hmm. to see the watch in yeah, reality sure. but um, yeah no I don't know I, I don't want to know in advance I,
1: I yeah no, I am like the surprise absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's a bit like not wanting to know the sex of your unborn child until I actually yeah, that's going to happen, isn't yeah. it? So it's, we can't influence at that stage. Yeah, but uh, I, I think a point we would make that the difference between uh, actually seeing the product and even getting the chance to try it on, as we do, uh, is is hugely mm-hmm. influential in your judgement. We all love you know social media and digital communication, but um, but it, it's no substitute for actually uh, seeing and feeling the product. And we'd say that also to all our consumers out there. You've, you've, you've probably looked and done your research and know mm-hmm. what you like but come in and try different products on and make sure that it's, it's definitely what you love and it's definitely, a, it's definitely you. And the last thing just moving on from Rolex where again typical of them they really don't make a big deal of these new movements. Uh, I think if I'm not mistaken the new movements are in every product now uh, overall
0: definitely on nice. the 31 um, the 28's been completed the 31 yep. it looks like they're working through the collections yep. and the 36 so for example the Submariners haven't got the enhanced movement that the GMT's had that's what last year and this year so we can potentially see some changes as the brand evolves but yep. it's, it's, it's these unknowns and the new watches so for example the the Yachtmaster in the white gold and the um, um Sea Dweller which are brand brand new to the collection that, yep. have the, that automatically have the new watches so um, a lot of the collection has been addressed and has got the new gen movements in, which just um, means that Rolex are constantly working on what's important. It's not just the aesthetics of the watch, it's not just what it looks like, it's not just having the icon of a Rolex yep. on your wrist, but it's actually for, it's important for them from the inside out.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. And, and plus minus two seconds is, is hugely accurate and way, way ahead of uh, the mm-hmm. tolerance that you need to have to... Uh, uh, to be an officially certified yep. uh, chronometer cr- uh, yes. yeah. by COSC. Uh, by um, but again, something it's not made a big deal of, but uh, but it really is a big deal. Uh, so then moving on to the, the other giant of, uh, of Baselworld, and that of course is uh, Patek Philippe, who we've, uh, we've been very proud to represent for over 50 years here in the Watchtower Switzerland and the UK. Um, and it's the other brand that, that does the... The excitement around seeing and, and clearly we're seeing really really special pieces and complications and developments around a really iconic product like a Nautilus and Aquanaut and so on um, so it's so starting with Patek with the, with the Aquanaut developments spark.
2: Yeah um, I mean the Aquanaut um, this year they uh, they brought one out uh, well last year they brought out the, the 5168 um, five, um, in blue uh, and this year they brought it out in in green a khaki green yep. so it's got the it's got the signature sort of uh, block patterned um, st- uh, rubber strap or tropic strap as they call it and and that carries through into the dial um and that was um that was that was terrific. I mean, it was uh, it's going to be thirty thousand three hundred and ninety pounds. I think it's already got a nickname. They're calling it the hand grenade because it kind of looks like the patterning you you would imagine on a hand grenade. And it and it was incredible. So it's a white gold Aquanaut in a 42, 422 millimeter uh, case size. Uh, yeah, just a wonderful thing. Yeah, really liked it. yeah, very
1: bold and yep. And green was a theme. I must say there was quite a, and it's been from SIHH, and I think we mentioned it even last year. There definitely is a, a move towards different variations of green, and this was a particularly appealing
2: one. Yeah, yeah, uh, there, there was lots of, I mean, coloured dials were, were quite a bit of a theme of the fair, but yeah, we've got green dials from Breitling and Tag, uh, even Oris, um, yep. and, and and Patek, uh, as you said, and, and, and the Rolex uh, ombre that we mentioned earlier. Yep.
1: I mean, something I love with, uh, with with Patek is the the colour of the blue dials they do, and there were, there were a couple of real crackers uh, this
2: time round, and starting with the, the Nautilus yeah. calendar. C- correct yeah so the annual calendar the 5726 um is now available in 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 the kind of original blue iconic nautilus style so kind of bluey black um but it's it, it's a 5726 on a bracelet annual calendar nautilus um it's a, a, a terrific watch 35160 pounds and um you know the the phone was ringing um for my colleague Dave because he handles all the VIP clients and, and that was ringing the meeting people wanting that walk it's yeah. going to be scarce like all Nautiluses are uh, but it was a, a beautiful thing yeah stunning as was the uh, the chronograph that
1: we saw in white gold beautiful blue strap really matching blue strap with the uh,
2: with the blue dial I loved that yep that that was that was also terrific too um yeah it was a, yes it was a two dial a two dial chronograph in um in, in white gold um sort of like a, well a, the classic three and, and nine position for the subdials dials um, and a, a really rich blue and it was also on a interestingly it was on a calf strap with uh, with white stitching didn't come on, a, on an alligator so it was kind of I don't know maybe a bit more comfortable a bit more flexible but it was it was kind of a little bit dressed down but uh, but yeah a wonderful watch yeah oh, beautiful and
1: then a couple of really interesting uh, complications that we again had no idea
2: uh, were coming the the whole idea of a weekly calendar. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, so um, I think one of the things that uh, one of the things Patek did towards the end of last year, they uh, they, they discontinued or retired, as I think the polite phrase is, um, quite a few lines from the Calatrava collection. Um, I think there were 11 models they, they took out um, and they introduced a steel Calatrava, which they haven't had a steel Calatrava for gosh, a, a really, really long time. So, um, so they have this new movement. It's, um, it's it, the model number is a 5212A. Um, it's a 40 millimeter case with kind of stepped lug. So it's got quite a, a retro feel to it. Um, and the big thing is it's, um, well, it's, um, it's, a, it's got a normal date at, at three o'clock, but then you also have the month um, and you have the week number i1 to 53 which is like an iso ISO standard um and and those are pointed out by um uh, by sort of mallet hands so there's like a little red end shaped like a mallet um and that points out the uh, that points out the week number and also and also also the month i mean it's, uh, sorry the day of the week so it's it's a fully it's a full calendar watch expressed through um through sort of pointers on the dial it was it was really quite an effective thing um, and I think there's quite a lot of talk about the um about the the, the font that was used um it was uh, it, well it was just beautiful and for such a busy dial um it, it's really clear um and it also i think they, they've used pointers on uh, on hands for date watchers before so you have the 6006 in white gold which has got a which has got a also a pointer for the uh for, for the date uh, but this was, yeah, unexpected. Uh, a new movement from Patek um, is always is always something to talk about. So it was uh, it was a great watch. And I think they they'd said that, that the unusual font
1: on the uh, wasn't it, that the designer when they when they they submitted it was handwritten yes. on their design. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Thierry Stern liked it so yeah. much that uh, yeah, they that effectively it. that that, yeah. be, that became the design. Uh-huh. And uh, every day is a school day in this in this world. So we also because we're we're now retailing both in the, the UK and the US, I discovered that the week starts on a different day between UK and US. So, it starts on a Sunday in America.
2: It starts on a Sunday in America, but, yeah, yeah I, think the, I think the ISO standard is, um, is ISO 8610, apparently, yeah. uh, for, dates starting, uh, for weeks starting on a Monday, yeah. which is what we do in the UK. Yeah, which is obviously Christian. And yes, yeah, nice yeah. origin yeah. as well, so that's yeah, yeah. maybe a yeah, wee yes. bit surprising.
1: But... Uh, the weekly calendar that they, they've done is European therefore, mm-hmm. in, uh, in its positioning, and the week starts, as we all know, mm-hmm. starts on a Monday. And Good. Um, still Good. watching football on a Sunday. <laughs> so. um, and the other amazing thing that uh, we saw, again, a, a complete surprise and something we wondered at, was this uh, a complete new alarm. Uh, travel time using technology that we
2: obviously would more associate with, uh, with a minute repeater. Exactly, yeah. So, um, just to sort of visualize the watch, um, those of you who sort of follow Patek will know the 5524, uh, which is the, the the Calatrava pilot's watch. Um, and that has sort of, uh, so it's a dual time watch um, and, uh, and also uh, it has sort of three large buttons on it. So, that was the existing model from. I think as uh, came out over a, over a couple of years back. What they've done now is they've added a fourth button, so it makes it quite a big and imposing watch, but it, it looks great. The case is platinum, and they've added in um, an alarm function. Now, on, on alarm watches generally, it tends to be more of a buzz. So if you think of like a, a Jaeger Memovox, there's kind of like a buzz alarm. Whereas on the, uh, on, on the Patek, um, I guess they're experts at minute repeaters. So they've taken the the principles of the gong um, and the little hammers and um, the the watch actually chimes to wake you up. So um, there's a handy hour and minute um, um, aperture in the dial up towards 12 o'clock and you can set the dial. You can set the hour obviously and then you can set the minutes in sort of 15 minute increments and the watch rings for about I don't know 36 seconds, and it sounds great. Uh, and it, I think it would wake you up. Um, it's, as I say it's got a platinum case. It's got a nice, a nice true sound to it. Um, it was about 187,000 pounds, though yep. But it was a an incredible thing. So that's uh, you know another 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 significant advancement from Patek.
1: Yep. yep. And again, there will be huge demand for it. Yeah. It would just wake you up. It will wake you up and up. Nice mood. it would wood. Would indeed. Nice it nice would nice pleasant sounds. Yes, not yes, yes. somebody yelling at you from your from <laughs> your radio. Uh, can uh, I can just
0: point out that while Mark was talking about alarm clocks, we actually had an authentic cuckoo clock going off in the background. Yes, <laughs> yes yeah.
1: yeah We're is. big into modern technology <laughs> in this office. <laughs> it's authentic. Yeah. So then, uh, moving on, uh, we always look forward to seeing uh, to seeing Zenith as a, a a brand and that uh, we, we think it's got great potential and uh, and beginning to realise some of its potential now. Um. And we talked about Zenith, of course, the El Primero movement, with the, the, one of the first uh, automatic chronograph movements. And again, great developments happening around El Primero with the, with the defy uh, 21.
0: Thing. Yeah, this year was very important to the brand because it was their 50th anniversary. So we've had a couple of anniversaries. There were several celebrations um, across brands. But this one, um, The uh, you, you're right, actually, Brian, in terms of uh, it's a, a smaller brand for us. It's an understated under underestimated we we feel it's very much a sleeping giant um, the brand itself um, launched the there is it was a race to market which is quite interesting for a chronograph to, to use that to that phrase in terms of the first automatic chronograph um, in 1969 and the El primero that's what the watch is known for which is great because a lot of our brands are known for their collections and their families and their, um, their, their, their but I think it's quite important that a watch is known for its movement you know um, the collection has gone through quite a lot of changes historically they have struggled to find their way but I think over the past few years particularly with the launch of the El Primero um, the defy sorry EP 21 and then the EP classic um, there's a really strong look to it it's it's quite a sexy look it's quite uh, bold it's masculine Um, lots of um, great um, executions in different metal types so able to sit comfortably within its um competitive set um the thing the two things i think about zenith is it's very well competitively priced and it's authentic Um, so i think if you're looking for a new watch or um you're interested in horology it's always a brand to look at Um, not always the the first brand to be looked at but it definitely should be considered so this year the um, it was the revival of the um, original piece and actually it's really true to, to the original it's beautiful we saw a lot of vintage watches this year and what was nice about the what we did see is everybody was loyal to their heritage yep. piece. It wasn't a vintage-looking watch. There was a lot of credibility in um, people reaching back to their archives. Yep. Um, not necessarily whole collections around it, which is great, because actually it dilutes what, what they're talking about, but a real celebration. So we saw the trilogy in the... Um, in the uh, El Primero. El Primero, uh, Thank You Mark. It came out in the white gold, rose gold, and yellow gold. Um, they will do it as a set. It's 50... I think it's 50... Options of each that they're launching. The first ten they'll do as a box set, and then you can choose your numbers. So if you wanted all three, for because um, you're incredibly loyal to the brand or part of a longer term um, plan, then that's. I think I think actually they might have sold out at the fair on those. If I'm, I'm I not. I think they did. Then they, they
1: had that beautiful box, box yeah. for, uh, mm. for mm. presenting them and with some
2: really yeah. nice features. Eh? Yeah, I, I thought I thought the striking thing was um, well, obviously it's 50 years old. They're making 50 a week of each metal type. And the warranty was 50 years, which yeah. <laughs> I thought it was... That really blows you away. away. it's a
0: really good point, yeah. and it's a really—it's nice that they're going to do it. But if I was to buy it now, it's um, I, I, yeah. I, the, the the guarantee isn't going to be the selling no, point no. for me, not at my age. Um, but uh, it's definitely a watch to be then handed down, isn't it? So there's a—it continues the legacy, which I think is really important. So perhaps they should have made a bit more, a bit more around that. Um, additional executions in the um, Defy collection, but I think it was it—the focus needs to be on the anniversary of the movement. Phase. Yes.
1: And uh, as you say, I think we're, we're really starting to see some of the potential being realised in uh, Zenith, their, their direction overall, you see their, their uh, acknowledgement of our uh, truth to our heritage and everything that they're doing. And a lot of that's down to the new CEO, Julian uh, Turnard, who I think joined uh, around two years ago, maybe a wee bit less, uh, but a really good guy and a guy that really seems to have taken on the, uh, the overall direction and leadership of, uh, of the brand very well. And we were very lucky to catch up with him. And, uh, and, and get the short interview. So let's hear what uh, Julian has to say.
3: We are joined today by Mr. Tonner at uh, Basel World 2019 in Zenith. Mr. Tonner, would be remiss to not recognize the sheer scale of what we see here today. How has it been here for you so far?
4: Fantastic, fantastic beginning of the fair. Uh, we had a great day yesterday with great results. We had a huge event yesterday with close to one thousand people for the launch of our DeFi Inventor. So I cannot be happier. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, so it's it's been a big year
3: for for Zenith. Um, Zenith's legendary El Primero movement, um, which turned fifty, and as you said, it was the uh, the event last night. Um, so the brand has been hosting special dinners in cities around the world, including London last month. Um, And you unveiled an anniversary set in January. What else can we expect from the brand to mark the occasion?
4: I think it's extremely important because everybody is expecting celebration for the El Primero. So we're going to continue to have one major event per month where we meet our clients, we, we organize dinners, we share the passion, we show a vintage collection as well as art collection. And um, we presented a few weeks ago the box, the famous box with four pieces uh, representing the whole um, high frequency. Now we are presenting this year three fantastic, I mean uh, today in Basel, three fantastic pieces very close to the original model from 1969. 50 pieces in rose gold, 50 pieces in yellow gold, 50 pieces in white gold. And we added something a little bit um, uh, innovative on that is that we offer a 50-year warranty, meaning that their warranty will expire the evening of the event when we celebrate the 100th anniversary of the brand of the movement. So that's something very, uh, very cool and very special. And uh, it means that we will cover every cost for 50 years on their watch.
3: That's fantastic. Is that something that you've, or anybody has ever done before? Is this, is this quite unique to...
4: Never. It's never been done. I mean, such a long warranty has never been proposed to any product, to my knowledge.
3: Fantastic. Um, so f- both for men and women, what
4: else can we expect from the brand this year? Lot, you can expect a lot because uh, we will continue to um, work on the El Primero celebration, but we will also continue to work on the innovation and on the uh, DeFi inventor. So we're going to have high-frequency night like we had yesterday where basically we f- you feel the vibrations, you feel the high frequency and everybody felt it very badly, I'm telling you, until late in the morning. So this is this is what we believe because you can have a long history, you can be traditional, you can be authentic. Don't forget that. Zenit is one of the very few brands that has every single watch has a Zenith movement. But it doesn't mean you need to be boring. It doesn't mean all the people want to get bored in, in boring events. So we're going to have fun with Zenith this year. And this is something I, re- I really want to do.
3: Fantastic. So um, the legendary Jean-Claude Bivet stopped uh, stepped back from day-to-day duties uh, last year. What have you learned from him uh, during your time in the industry?
4: It's been an amazing learning curve and I've been in the industry for 25 years, but working two years with Jean-Claude was just unbelievable. I was learning every day, every day. And it could be on watchmaking, it could be on marketing, on product, but also a life lesson, you know, Jean-Claude Biver is such a phenomenon. So not only I I got a new boss, not only I got a lot of learning, but I made a new friend. And today, even if he stepped uh, down from his uh, operational responsibility, I still talk to him very often. He's always giving me good advisors and he's, he's really become a friend. So that's, that's, that's the best experience I could have had.
3: Absolutely. You can tell from the way his mind works through interviews and just meeting him. It's The amount of knowledge that he has over the years that he's been in the, the industry is, is remarkable. So I can imagine what, you, what you've what you yep. learned. Um, so George Bamford is also uh, he's an official design partner of Zenith, um, as well as fellow uh, LVMH brands Tag Heuer and Bulgari. His customization of watches was once snubbed by the luxury watch industry. Why do you think Mr. Beaver made the decision to collaborate with him? And how has his tinkering with Zenith Designs been perceived by die-hard customers so far?
4: Uh, They are two super dynamic persons. They are both very entrepreneurs. And I'm not surprised they clicked and I'm not surprised they wanted to do something. But the, the, for Zenith, when I came on board, uh, Jean-Claude asked me, do you want to do something with him? Do you want him to customize the watches? I said, of course not. Nobody can touch a Zenit watch. It's only ours uh, and, and our people. And uh, But I said, OK, you know what? I'm going to fly to London and meet him still. And I got there and I got to meet an amazing man. And I came back and I said, you know what? Only stupid people don't change their mind. And I have to change my mind because he's the best one to help us to customize. We cannot customize ourselves because we, make, we made watches in series and we don't have his network of people that are looking for such product. So and at the end of the day, he was anywhere doing it without any control from, her, from us. So now with the deal we made and we were the first brand to make an official deal with him, I agreed that I am validating every single product that he's customizing. So not only I get his skills, and uh, uh, performance and network, but I also get more control. So that's much better. And now I have to say the relationship with George is unbelievable. He was at my party yesterday and he finished. He was in the very last ones.
3: So with, with innovations such as the DeFi 21 and DeFi Lab, Zenith has really made its mark uh, as a forward thinking brand. Um, how do you stay ahead of the game?
4: We have to, you know. Uh, one thing I did is I went very far away into the brand history and I, 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 I thought, okay, who are the great men who did the brand? What what were their mindset from the founder to the people who worked on the El Primero in 1969, etc.? And I found out that they all had this huge innovative and creative and, and entrepreneurship spirit. So I must put it in the, in the company today. I must make sure that the brand remains ahead and remains in a, in a mood of... A, of I would say of um, uh, building tomorrow and crafting tomorrow. So how we do today, uh, very simple. It's a question of mindset. I have a cell of five, six people that are working on only on innovation, creativity for the coming years in terms of products. So that's important. But I also gave to every single of my executives uh, an objective this year to change or bring new ideas, innovative ideas in each of their departments, whether they are HR, accounting, uh, production, they have to come with five approach, five measures, five things that will be super innovative. And they have to, it's part of the objective. So the whole mindset of the company has to work as a, as a startup now.
3: Fantastic. That's great. And, and, and finally,
4: what challenges do you see ahead for Zenith and for the watch industry as a whole? For Zenith, I think, Today, the brand is very well recognized and strong among connoisseurs, purists, um, people who really get deep into the watch, like in Japan. Japanese clients, they go so much into the watch, into the movement that they value and understand that Zenit is probably the best value for money today. So my challenge is to get further because I cannot live only with the purists and the Japanese. I need to go further. So I need to work. I mean, I need to keep, of course, the authenticity, the content, the substance of the brand. But I need to work on the packaging. I need to become, um, I would say, more appealing, um, sexier, you know, more uh, more dynamic, more contemporary, organize fun event where people are coming with pleasure, so people can identify themselves to the brand more, even if they are not watch freaks, watch connoisseurs, and that's that's a big challenge for Zenit, and we are working hard on that the watchmaking industry I think they have to be careful not to be um, too much turned to the past so many brands now are still repetitive are still scared to innovate scared to change and they only make re and I think the millennials today um, if we want to keep them interested into watches and not where no watch or where a smart watch only, we have to show them that the industry is dynamic, is moving forward. It's not a museum industry, you know, and that's very important for the whole industry. And that's perfectly in line with the uh, Zenith uh, strategy.
3: Fantastic. Mr. Tonight. it's been a, a pleasure speaking to you today. I wish the best of luck for, for the rest of the fair and um, good luck to everything for you.
4: Thank you very much. Thank and, you, sir. Uh, have a good fair as well. Thank you very much.
1: Okay, right. Uh, hope you enjoyed that really interesting, uh, really interesting interview with uh, with Julian. And, and moving on, to uh, talking about Breitling, going through lots of exciting changes at the moment in their in their image and their and their look and their direction overall. And of course, we see that coming out with uh, with their new products. So, talk us
2: through the Breitling new products, Mark. Yeah, um, I mean there are changes. Uh, I think Mr. Kearns is having uh, quite an impact there, but. Um, some things kind of stay the same and, and evolve slightly. So um, they uh, they gave the the Super Ocean collection a bit of a a bit of a look over um, at this Basel. So um, there are steel steel models in in 36, uh, 42, and 44 mil size, uh, and it's a sort of classic diver's watch. Um, starts around 2,800 pounds and goes to uh, I don't know, just under four. There's a cool black um, black steel version with either a black dial or a blue dial on a on a on a rubber strap for about three three thousand seven hundred pounds they they were really good really commercial um really looks like um like an imposing diving watcher uh, and looks like a proper brightling and i think then the other thing we like particularly and i think picking up on, on one of the themes that uh, Faye mentioned earlier was about sort of retro looking watches watches with a vintage feel so Um, Brightling have a collaboration with with Norton Norton Motorcycles um, and um, their premier watch which is a a two dial chronograph they've introduced a Norton version which has got the Norton kind of logo on the back but this is on a kind of distressed brown leather strap um, with a black dial and silver sub dials um, for the chronograph and sort of gilt um, gilt numerals and and, um, and hands and uh, I think we all like that. It looked really cool. Really, really kind of got a, a vintage feel to it, um, and was terrific. It's about six thousand three hundred and fifty pounds, and uh, it's a watch. I uh, yeah, you know, I'd put six thousand pounds into that tomorrow. It's, it's, really, lovely. it's yeah. really, really lovely. Yeah, really lovely. And the uh, limited edition, nineteen fifty nine. That uh, was the Navi-timer. thing. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. So the Navitimer, um, the Navitimer. Um, so nineteen fifty nine. They had. Um, uh, they brought out um, well. The Navitime came out in '52, but in 1959, one of the the model 806, I think, is is one that collectors often look for. Um, and so they've done a reedition in 1,959 pieces. It's um, it's a steel case. It's um, it, again, as Faye mentioned, um, there are brands re- reintroducing watches that are faithful to the original, and this is really faithful in terms of size. It's just under 41 mil. It's got um, 94 beads on the, on the bezel which were, which were the things that you, you would grip onto so that's all faithful um, to, to, to the original the dial uh, looks authentic uh, and, and again like the original it's got a manual wind movement uh, so they developed the, um, a, a new movement but um, the original would have had a manual wind movement and so has this it's the B09 manual wind uh, chronograph movement um, and it's about six and a half thousand pounds. Terrific looking watch. Um, yeah, great, great. I think there'll be a, a queue forming for that one. Really yeah. wonderful.
1: I mean, it just great stuff. I think coming out from a bright Legal Overall, some other, you know, nostalgic ones uh, celebrating old mm-hmm. you know, current airlines, but in some cases old airlines. Uh, yes, Swiss Air. And oh yeah, the Pan Americans. Yeah. Uh, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. They were pretty cool. Was the third one?
1: Um, it was Swiss Air. Pan Am well, and
2: was it TWA was it?
1: Was it TWA? I think it's a good guess, but I don't think was it. Maybe, but maybe by the end of the podcast yeah. we'll <laughs> figure out what it is. We could, uh, we could tell you, but, so, but it's so really cool in the the colour and design overall, mm-hmm. and again something else uh, very very uh, talkable. But yeah. that's what
0: Brightling do well, isn't it? Colour yeah. without it being it's they're just they it's uh, loyal to to it without it colour for the sake of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always um. I always enjoy yeah. seeing their product.
2: They had orange in the super ocean as well, the bright orange dial, and then green, again, the green khaki thing with the uh, the Curtis Warhawk watches they're doing. Yep. So they've got the sort of khaki strap and the green dial as well. It was a cool collection, actually.
1: And I think under George Kern, and just to mention, we did a, a podcast with George Kern while we were there, and he's very, very, very interesting to listen to. But under him, the, the direction of really, again, exploiting their archives and, and history and, and really developing stories around the collections which uh, um is what we all love to have uh, and love to be able to talk about our, our timepieces. And, and with george we're getting plenty of uh, food for that for sure so a uh, great stuff from breitling uh we a brand that we uh, we really love and has got great momentum here in the uk and and in the us and a real loyal loyal following as uh as the the wee brother of a uh, of rolex i'd hate to be described as that i'm sure i've just done it anyway as uh, <laughs>
2: as a uh, tudor and uh, some some great black bay developments. There was there was indeed. Um, I mean, the, the black bay bronze um, has uh, has had an upgrade. It's now got a, a smoky grey dial. So again, we saw this uh, this sort of smoky dial look, um, which was sort of seemed to be quite prevalent at, at Basel this year. So now the black bay bronze is with a smoky grey dial and a sort of grey uh, grey uh, aluminium bezel comes on a new book strap for about about two thousand nine hundred pounds. Um, and if it sells like the old version did um, you'll need to get your name down because it, it sells out really really quickly there's always a waiting list for it um, and this gray dial looks really good sort of 43 mil case I think it's coming out next uh, coming out in May so yeah fairly soon but a terrific watch and Blight be you're a and B, you know, fine for you.
0: yeah it's we it's a key it's key for the for Tudor um, yep. and it's a collection that they they're growing and enhancing on this year we didn't see huge amounts of executions which is nice because you don't have to bring out 500 different watches every year for it to be successful by their own admission they're still catching up with demand from last year and yep. um, we saw a great limited edition um, mark probably talk about that um, but all in all it was it was concise it was um, good it was good to see that some some core um, volume product uh, it doesn't sound it, using that terminology doesn't sound very positive but it's it's the, it's the real it's realistic um, so case sizing and metal mixes so it was I think when you go in you can now understand a, a cohesive Tudor collection
1: yep yeah, no, no definitely and the and the image of the brand super strong great marketing girl and David Beckham and he Haley. was there wasn't he yes yeah. he was yeah. did you manage to I was yeah, working, with Brian, I Shake was in another appointment. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> he he did people. ask
0: for you, though, I heard. Yeah, yeah.
1: she could do a bit of keepy-up together. Yeah. But a, a great ambassador, obviously, for Absolutely, them. Yeah. And uh, And very much in keeping with the brand, as is Lady, Lady Gaga. Uh, super cool, somebody that's, you know, really different and, you know, excelling in their, 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 their profession. And they also do the All Blacks. And, you know, I think they've got to be pretty high profile at their upcoming Rugby World Cup, so yeah. so great marketing stuff, mm-hmm. getting their name out there, but of course it's all about product and they're, they're doing some great stuff with product at uh, great value, great value for money. And uh, then the, the, another brand offering, again, great value for money for what they are and what they do is Tag Hour, um, great brand here, both in the UK and the US, number three brand in the UK market, and uh, we love our tag here uh, overall. And I love to see the direction that they're, that they're heading in of really kind of celebrating their heritage with um, you know, car racing mm-hmm. and, and Formula One and, and so on. And uh, most of what they were presenting were all in those families.
2: Um, so there was a, a nice new range of the, the Ottavia mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there was indeed, yeah. Um, so um, I think that's due out fairly shortly. This is a, a three-hand uh, a date, date model, uh, so it's not a chronograph. It's about 3200 uh, £3, pounds, um, and um, it was, what was interesting about it again, it's the sort of degraded smoky dial thing. So you have got a smoky grey, smoky um, smoky brown, a smoky blue coloured dials, mm-hmm. and a couple of bronze cases. And a green, uh, a green dial in there as well, um, and they they were great. They were really really lovely. And then I think there's a chronograph version coming out towards the end of the year, um, which is a flyback for about five thousand. Five thousand pounds. So, uh, as, as you say, Brian, it's keeping up with their heritage and, yep. uh, and, and, uh, and the legitimacy in watchmaking, and, and probably their most heritage iconic
1: product and look is the is the monocle, and once again celebrating a fiftieth. Everything seemed to happen in 1969 yeah. when it uh, comes to watches. Of course, not everything did, but it was a big year, <laughs> big year for watches overall. So it was the year that Steve McQueen was a. Uh, was was it the year that Steve McQueen was in the movie actually? But the '69 is the, launch, the Monaco.
2: Is the automatic chronograph launch here? Yes. because they were the other other people in the in the race against the El Primero for that. Yes. Moment. Yeah. In
1: a couple of months, mm-hmm. too late. Or, yeah. and uh, if you want to know exactly the, the background and story to all of that, you could listen to the podcast that you did with uh, with Jack Howard. Yeah, yeah. a great, great grandson yeah. of the of the founder and uh-huh. his anecdotes and background to what was going on back then was yeah. really interesting to listen to. Um, but uh, so we, we have the 50th anniversary
2: of a uh, Monaco um, getting celebrated mm-hmm. with some uh, some great pieces. Indeed, yeah. Uh, so it will be uh, there will be it be grey dial. Uh, I think it's got a, a sort of red red seconds hand on it, um, and that was also going to be around five thousand pounds and due out uh, late later this year. But it, it looked really cool. All the Monacos uh, t- tend to look cool. All the executions they do. I mean, we. One of the current models is the Gulf with the blue dial and the Gulf stripes down it, which is is kind of the the, uh, the livery that was worn in the in the film you're referring to, Brian, by um, by Steve McQueen, and that's um, yeah, it, it, uh, the the whole collection for the Monaco is is great, yeah, good.
1: yeah. And then uh, moving on, still now, in the same group, our uh, our friends from Ublo, uh, always exciting and uh, entertaining to see, very very creative and imaginative and everything that they're doing fusing together their association with uh, with, with sport, with uh, motor racing, with colour, with new material developments and uh, never disappoints when you get into, uh, into see you blow and uh, we saw some good stuff from them
0: We did, um, you've referenced Fusion, it's a, it's a big word for them um, and the, one of the key launches was their Ferrari collection um, that they launched in three different case uh, metal types this year Ferrari's not new for the brand, Unico's not new for the brand and um, what they 've done is and classic fusion isn 't new for the brand, but what yeah. they 've done is they 've put them all together in a brand new case, so taking elements of different uh, of different parts of what they 're known for what they 're famous for um, and again it 's a box set you can buy them independently, but there 's a box set should you wish to buy all three a fantastic piece it was um i suppose it must have been at least a meter wide um, and as you open it up they've it, again they, 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 their attention to detail the box itself smelt of gasoline. Um, not in a bad way, in that you just kind of don't want to put a cigarette near it. But um, it's they've they've like sort of had a couple of pistons. I'm not stop me from being too technical here, of course. Um, but knowing what the brand do, they, it will be relevant to a Ferrari. Um, I didn't get unfortunately too much of the spec because the one thing about these fares on these limited editions, you get to see them very very quickly before yep. they snatch them away and move them on. So um, it was it was good, brand new case. It looked um, like a deconstructed big bang but it was more aligned with the classic fusion so mark i think you described it a bit better didn't, uh, earlier on when we were talking about
2: it yeah i can't really remember what i said but but it <laughs> was um, but I, I don't think the the bezel was uh, was um, a lot thinner but it kept the signature screws um on, on the bezel and also at, at sort of six and twelve o'clock the kind of um i don't know the the styling cues that you get on a classic fusion um and the, there was some nice um nice rounded shape around the pushes and, and buttons on the uh, uh, around the crown so yeah it, it looked like it had been kind of um, the metal had been sort of almost polished away to create a sort of lighter case which I suppose is what you get with Ferraris you know lighter lighter weight and, and sculptured design it was, a, it was quite a cool case actually
1: yeah. I mean and that stuff happening with uh, with Hublot and again just you Hublot both here and in the US popular and kind of fast growing brand and mm-hmm. Uh, Is very different. It's got great following, the the great sponsorship. Some other sponsorships that uh, that we heard about over there, cricket World Cup.
2: Yes, in, sponsor in the UK. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. wouldn't mean a lot in Scotland for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> it's one of the few World Cups we actually get to, I think, yeah, because they're just stuck, you know, for uh, for teams to participate, and uh, and then the boxing, uh, which they are strongly associated with boxers themselves, and the. Uh, and they're, they're now going to be, uh, they're doing products, celebrating their association with the WBA. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all just really typical from UBLO, such a mixture of, of different, exciting, creative things happening, product, how they're presenting the product, their associations and whatever, very, very exciting brand. And uh, so that, that brings us to the end of, uh, of our podcast, um, and, uh, and for uh, Basel 2019. Um, we loved it, it's a highlight of our year, uh, so a lot of great stuff. We were slightly sad by, uh, um, by seeing some of the, uh, the, the, uh, the lack of numbers and so on. I, I personally think the, all of what they're trying to do to reposition uh, for the future was way overdue, and that, that's why they, they had the problems. But uh, the thing that really matters to us is the product. We saw some fabulous ones and I hope you've uh, uh, enjoyed uh, uh, listening to us. Thank you Mark, thank you Faye. Thanks, Brian. And uh, I hope our listeners have enjoyed listening to us. And if there uh, are any questions or comments, I'm, I'm sure they'll let us know. Um, and thank you both again.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Calibre Podcast. As always, please do subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. We're now available on Spotify as well as all the usual places you listen to your
2: podcasts.